Turn with me to Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. We want to read verses 10 through 13. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go toward Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. In Genesis chapter 19, in verse 5, it says, And they called to Lot, and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight, bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. So that's the backdrop of what we want to talk about. God has seen and the cry has come up to him and he's going, he and a couple of angels are seeing Abraham, Abram, and they tell him they're going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And so actually the two angels leave and God's telling Abram that. And they get there. They get to Sodom. And in verse 5 of chapter 19, that's what we have. Lot has chosen his place. It's a well-watered place like the garden of the Lord in the plain of Jordan. And so he pitched his tent as far as Sodom. And the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked in other words, utterly or wholly wicked, given to wickedness. And so, and, and which goes along with that, sinful against the Lord. And so Abraham had given him his choice of where he wanted to live, and that's the place he chose. And so the angels have come to Sodom, and they're there to take Lot and his, or the righteous out. They would save the city, actually, if they were 50 righteous or 45 or 40 or 30 or 20 but they didn't find that many and so that's where we are and I want us to look at Genesis chapter 19 verses 12 through 29 Genesis 19 verses 12 through 29 and I want to read that whole section right there Genesis 19 12 through 29 then the men said to Lot, "Have you, have you, any?" Then the men said to Lot, "Have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city? Take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it." So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters, and said. Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But his sons, sons-in-law, but to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. While he lingered, the men took hold of his, of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought them out brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. 
Then Lot said to them, Please know, my lords, indeed now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, uh, which you have shown me by, by saving my life. But I, but I cannot escape, escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See now, this city is near enough to flee, for it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also, and that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plains, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abram, Abraham was early in the morning, went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain, and he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plains that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. So I want us to, to look at a few, a couple of, three things actually this morning. And just think about some things. In Ori's prayer this morning, he says, uh, he stated that we're, Sin is everywhere around and about us. And indeed it is. And Lot chose a place such as that to live in. Had his choice of all the things. And Abraham would have taken whatever. What was left. But he chose that place. And just some things that kind of struck me. Uh, that I thought we could look at for a few minutes. Isn't that The first of it is God's aware of sin. And I put on my outline, duh, of course he is. Um, did I not? Uh, but yeah, he's aware of it. And that's why he came to begin, Jesus came to begin with. For we see in, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have fallen short of what God uh, wants of us. We just didn't, didn't reach that point. In Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20 says, for there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. We're all in trouble in our standing with the Lord because of sin. Romans three or 6 verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in, uh, in Christ Jesus our Lord. All have sinned. There is not a just man who does not sin. And the payment for that the wage that we earn is sin, and of sin is death. But he has given us a gift, eternal life in Christ Jesus. So, in effect, what God is doing uh, when he knows of all sin, and he's going to Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's going to destroy them, is he's making us aware and warning us about sin's consequences, that it is forever a consequence against us. If we die in the state of sin. Look to Genesis 19 verses 15 and 16. 19 verses 15 and 16. 
When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out of the, and set him outside the city. The Lord, the Lord led him from danger. It's interesting, isn't it? He led him from death. We're in spiritual danger. Lot was in spiritual danger. And we are. Or he mentioned in his prayer again, we're surrounded uh, by sin. It's all about us. Interesting that in verse 16, the Lord being merciful to him. Interesting thought. The Lord is merciful. He doesn't want us to perish. Sinful though we are, he's given us a remedy for that. He led Lot and his family, his wife and his two daughters, <clears throat> out of a situation in where there was rampant sin. <clears throat> he brought him and set him outside the city. In Psalm chapter 86 and verse 5, For you, Lord, are, great, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon your name. He's ready to forgive, abundant in mercy. Lot says, the Lord being merciful to me. He's, he's being merciful. And the Lord, that's what he wants. He doesn't want us to perish in our sins. He wants us to be in a, uh, our lives that we would pattern it the way he wants us to, uh, that he wants us to be, and that we would obey. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 18, the Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. He's long-suffering, again, abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But what about the guilty? What if those who don't change their lives, what does he do? Well, he doesn't clear them. He pays them with iniquity. He pays them for their iniquity. In Micah, chapter 7, <clears throat> verses 18 and 19. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and, and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all your sins into the depths of the sea. There isn't a God like him, pardoning iniquity. When we change, he's not going to change, but we have to. And he will pass over the transgression. He will forgive those things. And his anger will not last forever toward those who change. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even we were, when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Again, he's rich in mercy. Why? Because of his great love for us. Even when we were dead in, as it says, trespasses, he made us alive. He quickened us. He brought life to us through Christ. In 
2 Timothy 2.14, taking up in the middle of a thought, he says, To which he called you by our gospel, for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. He leads us by his gospel. He leads us with the message that he has for us that we should all live by. He called us by our gospel. He led us, just as he led Lot, out of that city that was about to be destroyed. Will he, will he take me out of Columbus if he's about to destroy Columbus physically? No, he won't do that. He won't do that. But he'll lead me out of my sins by the gospel. And so it's up to me to listen to the gospel. In Romans chapter 1, in verses 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Paul writing this letter, and I've mentioned this before, I think, in here, and you know it as well. He's, he's, he's a man who did his very best to destroy what Jesus did and what the apostles were doing for a while until he learned the truth. And then the gospel that he was destroying, he could now say years later, I'm not ashamed of that gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation. There, the power. There's no other, there's no other power to save us than the gospel. And he says, I'm not ashamed of it. And that's how he leads us out of sin. That's the only remedy that we have to fight what, what's going on in our lives is the gospel. Look at Genesis 19, verse 26. Genesis 19, 26. But, wife, but, but his wife looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. Lot's wife looked back. Lot's wife looked back. In Genesis chapter 19, verse 17, so it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. Don't look behind you, he said. The angel said, don't look behind you. Don't stay in the plain. Don't look behind you. But she did. She disobeyed a command of God. Have you ever done that? Have I ever done that? <laughs> yeah. That's what gets us in trouble. She didn't just glance back. She didn't just glance back with no repercussions. She became a pillar of salt. And as a matter of fact, the historian Josephus, from what I've read, states that he saw that pillar of salt, even his day, ever how long later. He says he saw it. I don't know. But she looked back. The Strong's number of H5027, she looked intently at, by implication to regard with pleasure, favor, or care. She looked back, not just to see what's going on. She looked back because apparently she liked the lifestyle. She liked the location. And she was, maybe the sin didn't bother her. Gospels, the, the, the New Testament states that Lot was a righteous man. Doesn't say anything about his wife or his two daughters. 
but she looked back with pleasure at that place. In Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 38, Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. That draws back. That would be the same thing as looking back for the pleasures of the world. In Acts 20, 27, he says, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. This not shunned is the same as drawing back. Paul said he didn't draw back from, from teaching him them anything. He was intent on telling everybody the whole message of the gospel. He didn't go looking back at the things in the past. He moved on from those things. He didn't look back with it. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But he, didn't, he declared everything. He didn't draw back. He didn't look back. He went on forward. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. This is repentance. Godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted. So the, the definition of repentance is a change of, change of mind, bringing about a change in behavior and not regretting the change. Not regretting the old lifestyle. You put that away to do something else, to live for the Lord. And so the rest of the few minutes, I want to talk about repentance and some scriptures that really relate to it. Really, not much of my thoughts at all. But just looking at this repentance. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those who by nature are not gods. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? When I think of this verse, and I think of Romans chapter 7, where it says that uh, he said, depart from me, I never knew you. That if we don't serve God, he doesn't know us. If we don't know him, he doesn't know us. But here in Galatians 5, when you did not know God, you served by nature those things which are not God. But now after you have known God, after we change, God then knows us, according to Galatians 4, verses 8 and 9. And you're not in bondage to those things anymore. Luke 9, verses 61, 62. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Farmer would understand that. If you look back, you're not going to get your rows straight. They won't run concurrent with the others, parallel with the others. So you don't look back if you're disking the ground. You look look ahead of you. In the same way, Lord says the Lord says, 
No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. That if we look back as Lot's wife did, longingly at the things of the world, the things that we used to do, we're not fit for the kingdom. Then a group Bible study at the Pines one Tuesday afternoon, we used to go then in those days. One of the guys, I think I mentioned this to you as well, one of the guys said, I just couldn't have any fun anymore. That's his idea. That the things of this world are fun. But God's idea is that the things of this world lead us in a place that we don't want to be forever in this life and in this life and forever. In Luke chapter 17, verse 32, there's that statement. Remember Lot's wife. You're all thinking if she looked back, she's a pillar of salt. Yeah. But let's turn to Luke 17. Luke 17. I want to read verses 28 through 32. Luke 17, 28 through 32. Jesus is speaking. It says, likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he who is on the housetop and, and his deeds are, and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. So here these people in, in what Luke is writing about and Jesus is talking about, keep the thought in your mind that they are, would be looking for the armies surrounding Jerusalem and coming to destroy that city. Don't go back and get that stuff so you'll be saved. They were looking at that destruction. Then again, in Luke, in Noah's day, in, in Luke 17, verses 26 and 27, we're kind of going to work backwards to a point. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. What were they doing in Noah's day? And what was everybody doing in Lot's day? They were eating, they were drinking, they were living, they sold, they planted, they, they were just living life. And suddenly their lives are over. Their lives are destroyed. Guess what? They weren't ready. They weren't ready when the Lord came for them. In verse 33 of this same opening, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. Sounds like a paradox, doesn't it? Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. What does that mean? Lot's wife was looking back longingly at what she had just left. That we want to save that lifestyle, then we'll lose our lives. We won't preserve our lives. We understand, we should understand the value of the spiritual over the material things of this life. Lot's wife was not completely able to surrender God's will to God's will and 
she did not escape the judgment of God. That's our danger. We're surrounded by it all the time, every day, by people who don't care about serving the Lord. And they do things that sometimes we get involved with. Hope not. But the Lord knows how. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. Where it says, If forth God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, and deli- delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. So if God did not spare angels who sinned, he didn't spare the ancient world in Noah's time, and he turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes because of their sin. What about the sins of today? When we live and we don't put those away, get rid of those sins by serving the Lord, by obeying the Lord, then we are destined for the same thing. All these are examples for us who live afterwards not to live ungodly life. But he delivered righteous Lot. Look at Lot living in this place. It says in verse 7, And delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. I would say he didn't choose the right place to live, obviously, did he? And it tormented him that he didn't. But we do know that the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment. Paraphrasing part of that verse. The Lord knows how. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly and deliver to punishment those who are not godly. Consider a couple things. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fail severity. But toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Romans 11, verses 22. Consider the goodness and severity of God. He works both ways. If we fall, it's because we didn't serve him and he's severe with us. If we serve him, it'll be good for us. You could, he will continue in his goodness or we'll be cut off. In Philippians chapter 3, Verses 13 and 14. Paul's writing. He says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, 
forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Lot's wife looked behind, longingly at what she saw as having been her lifestyle, and now it's being destroyed. Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind, his lifestyle of destroying the church in every way that he could. He's forgetting those and pressing toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's forgetting those things that are back behind that he did. They're forgiven if we serve God. Those are forgiven. We can forget about them. Last verse. And whoever will, in Roman, Mark 6, 11, and whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you depart from there, shake off the dust from under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. In the context of Mark 6, Jesus has sent the 12 out in pairs, and they're going to stay in places and preach to those people where they stay. So that's the context. Whoever will not receive you nor hear you. He's talking about when they go and start doing every day what Jesus was doing while he's here. When he's gone, that's their job every day. People don't hear you. It'll be more tolerable for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. How tolerable was it for Sodom and Gomorrah? They can't even find those cities today. They were destroyed then and still not found now. Sound like a play on words. It'll be worse for you to neglect the gospel, to turn your back on the gospel, to go back after you have changed, maybe. It'll be worse for you than it was for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. It will go on forever. I appreciate your listening. If you need to respond to the call of the gospel, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing number 332.